We are going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Grab a Bible, follow along with me. This morning, the title of the sermon is How to Proclaim the Gospel. How to Proclaim the Gospel. The reality is, and I know this, and I, I carry around a little bit of guilt, and sometimes a lot of guilt, my full-time professional job, responsibility, is to be a minister of the gospel. My responsibility is to proclaim the gospel faithfully, firmly, without any inhibitions. And it's easy to do on a Sunday morning because you expect that from me. You expect to hear the gospel being proclaimed, to be taught, for you to be edified, to be brought up, to be matured here together. That's your expectation. The reality is, is that this is a, just a Sunday morning. There's another six days that I live just like the rest of you. On a regular basis, when I step into a Starbucks, when I step into a, a Burkotts or a Jewel, do I boldly proclaim the gospel? Do you? Or do we kind of with shame, kind of be quiet, and I don't want to offend anybody, or I, I don't feel equipped to really share the gospel, proclaim the gospel. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we are going to be looking at Peter's second sermon. His second sermon. Pentecost has already come. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit has poured out powerfully in the lives of people, and they are just blown away by the work of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people on that Sunday come alive in Jesus Christ. Their eyes are opened up. Their, their hearts of stone have been turned to flesh. And they are now alive. The church has just started to grow. We got the Acts chapter 2 where they are gathering together in the public places, more than likely the temple. They're gathering in their homes. They're giving. They're generous to one another. An amazing thing has happened. Last week we looked at Peter and he and John were walking to temple for their, their regular time of prayers. And what happened? On their way to temple for prayers, they're coming to the gate that is called Beautiful. And they saw a man who had a congenital disorder. He was lame from birth. The man was asking for alms. Alms for the poor. And Peter stopped and said, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I can give to you, I'll give it to you took his right hand and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And boom! The man, his legs were strengthened, and he had muscles where there was atrophy, and he got up and walked. And this man leaped and jumped. Praise God in the midst of all these people. They were just excited. And all the people who had seen him their entire life are going, what is going on? This guy is now running and jumping. And we left at the end of last week seeing that everybody was amazed. They were amazed at what was going on. That this guy that they had known their 
entire life was now jumping. So this morning, we come to the point, Peter's second sermon. Peter moves from the gate called Beautiful into what's called Solomon's Portico. It's kind of a porch area in the temple area. And he preaches this sermon. Follow along with me. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 11. While he, the formerly crippled lame man, clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, his name, by, the, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven might receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God has made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in all your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. As a result of, of this sermon, it is believed that approximately 2,000 people turned to Christ. You would think that Peter, being a fisherman, blue collar, rough hands, you know, maybe dull mind, a blue collar guy might just kind of 
fudge this one, you know, just kind of let it slip. But this day he delivered an impromptu sermon that God used to save 2,000 souls. Peter used language and concepts that the Jewish men, the people, could understand. In the same way, we, as people who have been saved by grace, have got to communicate the gospel in our day and age in relevant ways that are true to the gospel. So this morning, if we want to proclaim the gospel properly, this is going to be our theme for our entire morning. If we want to proclaim the gospel properly, throw it up there for me, Leah. The theme. To proclaim the gospel, we must exalt the Lord Jesus first, confront sinners with their guilt and the danger of God's judgment, and offer God's grace to those who repent. The first thing that we've got to do is we have got to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we've got to put Him on the pedestal above all other people, above all other things. So the first thing, exalting Jesus, making much of Him. Peter, in his sermon, it was chock full of Jesus Christ. And so should our, our witnessing be as well. People must consider the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So when you are having your conversations, whether they be casually, intentionally, whether it be uh, in your small groups, whether it be with people who don't know Jesus Christ, they have got to be confronted with the question, who is this Jesus that you talk about? And we must use words. We must use words to tell about who is this Jesus? Yes, your lives may demonstrate some things about Jesus, but faith comes from what? Hearing. Faith comes from hearing. So people need to hear who is Jesus Christ. And Peter, in this sermon, he told them, who is this Jesus Christ? The first thing that we do as we are witnessing to people we must proclaim rightly in this way. To exalt Jesus Christ, we must deflect glory from ourselves. The gospel is not about you. You are not the gospel. We must deflect glory off of ourselves. So as compliments are coming our way and people want to say, wow, what, what's going on with you? Well, you know what I did. I did this. I did that. If you look quickly in, in this section, this, this lame man, formerly lame man, was clinging to Peter and John. Man, if I was a guy and this healing took place, one of the first things, honestly, in my pride and just being a fallen guy, is I'm going... He's with me. You see, see what I did? My faithful ministry. He's walking now. You see that? It's kind of about me. You want to, come, want to be a part of this? Because I'm pretty charismatic. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty slick. I, I've got the ability to heal people. What about you? You all got junk. Come with me. But in, immediately we see this here. 
while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran to them. <laughs> Could you imagine? Come in, come see me, come see this great thing that I've done. And Peter saw it. What did he do? Why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our piety that this thing happened? It, it wasn't about my power. It wasn't about my holy living. In fact, let me tell you, it's not about me. The first thing that he did was he deflected. He put the power where the power should be. He put the glory where the glory should be. There's nothing that we can boast about with the saved life. There's nothing. And as you go as, as a summer staff or as a kid comes to Christ, there is nothing that you have done other than being faithful. It is the work of God. The power of God saving that kid. Faith came through hearing. You proclaimed it, but it was only your weak words. And God took those weak words and changed and transformed the kid. We're tempted to say, man, I, I used to be this, I used to be that. But I pulled up my bootstraps, I went to church. I started hanging around these groups of people and Man, look at me now. That is a man-centered sense of salvation. Focusing on me. Focusing on you. But immediately what we have to do is to say, no, no, no. I have been saved by the grace of God. It's nothing that I did. God plucked me out and He saved me by grace. Deflect glory back to God. We must also exalt Jesus by telling people who He is and what He has done. This is, this is probably the biggest part of the message. Peter very, very strategically uses a number of different titles, but they're all summed up in the by this little phrase, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And he emphasizes this in verse 16, which points back to verse 6. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and you know. His name. Jesus' name stands for everything that he is. The Jews had such a holy reverence for the name of God. So much that they didn't even dare pronounce it. It was so holy that they dared not even say Yahweh. In the Hebrew Bible, whenever they got to the name Yahweh, they would say Adonai, or they would, which means Lord. And the name is a way of referring to God. Peter here exalts the name Jesus. Jesus' name comes from, from the Hebrew name. Does anybody know from what Old Testament person? Joshua. Yeshua. Jesus. Which means Yahweh saves. I love it. 
Jesus' name means God saves. The angel told Joseph to name Mary's son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It goes all the way back to the incarnation, to that Christmas day where he receives his name on the eighth day. His name is going to be Jesus because he is going to save these people from their sins. Jesus also points to our Lord's humility because he was given that name at his birth and has been miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. But Peter also receives, um, refers to Jesus as the Lord's servant. A servant. He is the son of God of Abraham, the son of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word servant is used in the Greek version. In Isaiah 52, where the the prophet predicts the coming of the servant who would be pierced for our transgressions, for our sins, he would be pierced. But he also refers to Jesus as the holy and the righteous one. You hear how he's, he's talking so much about Jesus here? The holy and righteous one. Jesus was the one without any sin. Any kind of sin of his own. Therefore, he could offer himself as a substitute. As a substitute for sinners. Without needing to make an atonement for his own sin. Jesus became sin for us. He was the Holy One. The Righteous One. The Perfect One. And Peter is saying, listen... As I am sharing the gospel, you have got to know who Jesus is. He's holy. He's righteous. He is without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He is the perfect one. But the beautiful thing is that he also calls, Peter refers to him as the author of life. And this word author has this idea of leader originator, the writer, the initiator. So when it comes to our salvation, he is the author of our life. So throughout this gospel presentation, listen, this is who he is. He is the one who saves. You hear that? He's the one who saves people. He he is the one who is Holy and righteous. He is God's servant. He is the one who does the Father's bidding. And He gives Himself up willingly. He's the author of your salvation. He's also, Peter referred to Him, as God's Christ. God's Christ. Who is appointed for you. Jesus was not a self-appointed God. God appointed Him as His anointed one, which is the meaning of of Christ. The anointed one, the appointed one. He's also the one that Moses referred to as as a prophet. A prophet is going to be raised up and you need to listen to him. If you do not listen to this prophet, this final prophet, you will be destroyed from God's people. 
Lastly, he is, he is from the seed of Abraham, from which all nations will be blessed. Peter knew that these men of Israel understood Father Abraham. And he came from Abraham. And from Abraham, all nations will be blessed. So when you are sharing the Gospel, people, people are want to go, go down all kinds of rabbit trails, won't they? If you've ever shared the Gospel with anybody, they're going to say, well, okay, but you know, there's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of errors in the Bible. You know, it conflicts. Oh, but have you ever been to church? Those people are a bunch of hypocrites. Or what about this? Or what about that? Or how about... And you keep on coming back and say, listen, let me tell you about who Jesus is. Let me tell you about who is this Christ. And I just need to be honest with you, this is who He is. The reality is most people who, have, who are not Christians have never read the Gospels. They've never read Scripture. With the internet so readily available, where do they get their information from? The internet. Hearsay. Your responsibility Exalt Jesus Christ. Deflect any glory from yourself. And then make sure that you point to who He is. Tell Him who He is. And then you must also, in this deflecting, say what He has done. Peter made it clear that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And He is coming back again to fulfill all of God's promises to Israel and to judge those who have rejected Him. He is coming back. But He died on the cross. After showing who Jesus is, God's servant, the, the Holy One, the, the, the author of life, a prophet, Peter's audience quickly should have realized That while they killed Jesus, at the same time, He willingly laid down His life. What did Jesus do? He didn't come to earth reluctantly and say, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll just do it, you know. Dragging His feet. He willingly gave up His life. Sacrificed His life. But these people were responsible for their sins of putting Jesus to death. They were responsible. The cross of Jesus Christ has got to be a central focus to our witness. It would be it is the fool it is absolutely foolishness ridiculous to those people who are perishing but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. So Peter willingly, boldly proclaimed this Jesus that you denied, you handed over to Pilate, he was willing to, give, to release him, he gave you Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas was a killer, he was a, 
One who was well known as a serial killer among you? Or Jesus? And you denied Pilate to release Jesus. Your blood is on your hands. His blood is on your hands. And you crucified Him. If you look here in, the, in this section, verse 14. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. You are responsible. And the same is true today. We are responsible. No, Christ was crucified 2,000 some years ago. If you are apart from Christ, not saved by grace, you're responsible. Though I was saved by grace, though I'm saved by grace, my life was responsible. My sins were responsible for the killing of Jesus Christ. So we must confront people with the cross and their responsibility. We must make the cross a central focus. The second thing that we must do as we are proclaiming the gospel, we must proclaim the go- to proclaim the gospel, we must confront sinners with their guilt and warn them of the coming judgment. We must confront them. Now, if you know anything about Peter, he's a hot or cold kind of guy. He's a flash in the pan. If you remember before Jesus' crucifixion, this guy denied Jesus how many times? Three times. I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Listen, I'm going to call down a curse from heaven. I don't know who this guy is. But now, after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, he is boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Maybe he's not the most diplomatic in, in hitting his audience with the terrible sin they've committed, but he, he just tells them, listen, this is the reality. At the outset, he, he nails them for delivering and disowning Jesus. He just nails them. It was you. You did it. In our day and age, many modern day preachers try to tiptoe around the matter of sin. Maybe you go to a church like that. There may be, if you're part of Missio Day, there's days where I may tiptoe around the issue of sin. Because I I, I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to feel warm and fuzzy. I, I want you to come back again another Sunday. But the second that we start confronting sin, people go, oh, well, back up. Don't you be calling me out on the carpet about that. Uh-uh. I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Besides, you know, if somebody has low self-esteem, hearing that they are guilty might drive them to absolute despair. So what do we do? We give people strokes. You're good enough. You're good enough. You're fine. Tell them how much God loves you. 
Encourage them to receive Jesus so they can reach their full potential. But if we omit sin and guilt, if we omit sin and guilt, there's no need for a Savior. Christ came. His name is Jesus. He was given the name Jesus. Why? Because He will save people from their sin. Churches who do not talk about sin, who do not call people to repent from sin, are doing no service whatsoever to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die on the cross for pretty good folks so that they could feel good about themselves and help them succeed in life. No, you see, Jesus died for them because they are sinners and under God's wrath and judgment. Jesus died to appease the wrath of God that is coming in the coming judgment. Jesus died to take away the Father's wrath on us so that why we can have life without a Savior we will face both physical death as well as a second death. Eternal separation from God. While the Jews in Jesus' day literally killed the Messiah, Spurgeon points out this. He says, every sin, every sin in in the essence of its killing, of it is a killing of God. Every sin. Every sin in the essence of it is a killing of God. Every sin that you commit, whether it be in your ignorance or your intentionality, in its very essence is a killing of the Christ. Every sin. Whether it be a casual sin, an intentional sin, or a sin of pure human ignorance. It is the killing of God. If you are living for sin rather than for Jesus Christ, you are choosing a murderer instead of Christ. You may be choosing alcohol. You may be choosing drugs. You may be choosing lust. You may be choosing greed. You may be choosing pride. You may be choosing sexual promiscuity. You may be choosing someone or some other sin. But whatever the sin is, it leads to death and it leads to eternal judgment. It is a murderer that will kill you. But thanks be to God, There's the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. Because while our ignorance is no excuse, Jesus came and died. The cross is the center of the gospel. The final element is this. Final element is this. To proclaim the gospel, we must offer God's grace to the repentant. 
after Peter's indictment of his audience, you'd expect him to say, you're all going to hell for crucifying Jesus Christ. Man, you see what you did? You screwed this one up. Bang up job there. Not only did you just kill him, you put him on a criminal's cross. You're going to burn in hell for that one. Sucks to be you. But what did he do instead? He offered grace to the repentant. He offered grace. Grace to the repentant. He exhorts them. Listen, what I want you to do is, verse 19, repent therefore and turn again. Repent. And when you repent, if you would repent, God would send Jesus for a time of refreshing and restore. Make all things right. If you repent and turn to Jesus, acknowledge Him as the Lord and Savior, the Holy and Righteous One, the author of your salvation, the author of life, you recognize Him and turn to Him. If you repent from your sinful ways and turn to Jesus, He will offer a restoration of all things. Restoring your heart. Turning your heart back to God. Making things right. If God is so gracious as to offer forgiveness and His kingdom blessings that extended from Abraham to our day, then the beauty is is that He surely offers grace to every sinner who repents. The Apostle Paul was the chief of sinners. He was, he was the top. He, he said, listen, I, I, you all think that you sin? I'm the chief of sinners. I was the one who persecuted the church. I was out to put an end to it. I was the chief of sinners. But what did God do? He offered mercy and grace. So that in Him, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His absolutely perfect patience. So what is repentance? It is a change of mind. It is a change in direction for one's entire life. It means to turn to God from our sin. It means to turn to God. Spurgeon said that there's no better definition of what it is than what is found in a children's hymn. I love it. In a kid's hymn. And this is what it is. This is repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. This morning, I don't, I don't know the condition of your soul. I don't know where you stand before Jesus Christ. I don't know if you would die today, what is your eternal destination? 
but I must confront you with who Jesus Christ is. I must confront you with the question of what do you believe that He has done for you? I must ask, what are those sins? If you are saved by grace, what are those sins that still impede your walk with Christ? Because the call is still today. Repent, therefore, turn, turn to God. Repent. Grieve of those sins to the point where it just breaks your heart. Grieve them and turn to God. Run to God. And as we share the gospel for those to those who are perishing, whether they be kids in day camp, res camp, the, your co-workers, maybe even your spouse or family members that you're going to be meeting today for a Father's Day celebration over burning pieces of meat on a charcoal grill. Are you willing to confront them with the good news of Jesus Christ? Confront them with their sin and their need for a Savior. This is what God has done for me. And today, if you are willing to repent, He is willing to restore your heart and your life. Offer you grace and offer you mercy. Are you willing? Do you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's so much that you are willing to share and tell people. He's the Holy One. He has committed no sin. And He has taken upon Himself willingly my sin. My wife's sin. All the people before me and the people to come. He's taken on their sins. So that we may have peace with God. Do you love these people so much that you feel compelled to share the gospel? To offer gospel-centered lives and to offer gospel-centered words. So whenever you have the opportunity to talk to someone about spiritual matters, you need to Seek, first and foremost, exalt Jesus. If you're going to exalt a church, if you're going to exalt yourself, they are going to be disappointed. If you're going to exalt a pastor, I've been in churches long enough to know that pastors fail. I've been in churches long enough to know that churches fail. And churches hurt. And churches isolate. Exalt Jesus, who never fails. Make much of Jesus. And we need to, without any shame, confront them of their sin and warn them of their impending judgment. Not in such a way that you take a baseball bat and just start knocking people out. But because you love them dearly. I have got to tell you, because of the sin in your life, you are going to be eternally separated from God. The one who has given me life.
it is critical that we do this. And fathers, impending fathers, it starts in your home. It starts in your family. Dads, you have got to tell your children about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Your children are the first gift, apart from marriage, that He has given you. Dads, tell your children of the sin that is in their life and their need for a Savior. Do not neglect your responsibility as a dad. Tell your children. Share the gospel story day after day after day. Tell them who Jesus is, what he has done. Tell them of their sin and offer grace to repentant young hearts. It is the best Father's Day gift that you can give. Share it to your children. I got so many thoughts just floating around. I'm going to go back to dads. Men. Your responsibility for this next generation is absolutely critical. Peter denied Christ three times. And he could pass the blame to pass the buck to somebody else. But he boldly did it. As a blue collar guy who didn't know all the answers, I'm sure, but he boldly did it. The responsibility is still ours today. If you feel ill-equipped, get into Scripture. Meet with other guys. Find resources. Talk to myself. Talk to Nathan. Talk to other men who have godly children. Say, what have you done? How, how do you do this? Don't. I love Mike Archibald downstairs. I love our children's ministry downstairs. But families, please make it your first priority. Don't don't pass it off to a youth ministry. Don't pass it off even to a camp. I love Camp Manitoba and the ministry that happens here. Your family ministry. Do it in your home. Do it in your home. And they are not too young to hear. 
I'm done. Let's pray.